is More Than Before with Nathan Cook. Hey everyone, welcome back. I am super excited uh, for our guest today. You might know something's different if you're watching video right now. I'm, I'm dressed a little differently and there's a reason why. You know, our guest today, he is a very accomplished young man. He has written four books. He has a TV program, Be Your Best with Trey Johnson, that reaches over 450 million people a week. I hope you heard that number, 450 million people a week. He is a real life cowboy. He is down to earth, has a huge heart that runs after God. His mission is to help people come to know God more and to be their best in life. He is a good friend. He is a heck of a cowboy. Trey Johnson, welcome to the show, brother. How are you today? I'm doing great, Nathan. Thank you so much for having me on today. And and it's going to be fun. Uh, I'm really, I'm looking forward to learning from you today as well. So. Well, well, you know, there's probably not enough wisdom to probably put in this hat of mine here, but I mean, <laughs> your yours is a lot bigger. It looks like you got a 10-gallon hat on your head. <laughs> not quite 10-gallon, you know, but it can hold a gallon or so anyway. Your story is really fascinating to me, but I'm curious, where did being a cowboy come into the mix here? Like, were were you always around rodeos or was this something that you you took interest in and your family started you know taking you to a place where you could actually start to learn and compete what what got you into the road of uh, into the the world of rodeo because i feel like it's not a very common world that a lot of people are going into nowadays i grew up in it you know my mom and dad my grandparents whenever i was born i had a real bad case of club feet and so my toes touched my heels on both feet and they'd have to go in and break all the bones and stuff in my feet and so my dad, and they'd restructure them and everything. And so my dad, when he would go check cows and goats and stuff at the ranch, he would put me in a five-gallon bucket and he would pat it with pillows. And so ever since I've been in this world, you know, I've been in the cowboy scene, which I wouldn't recommend that nowadays. CPS might be called nowadays <laughs> if you do stuff like that. But that's the way I grew up. And, and you know, I spent all my time with my granddad a lot on the ranch and um, you know, we both cried when I had to start kindergarten because I spent all day, every day with my granddad on horses and checking cows and building fence. And, and then it's just been a part of our culture. And, you know, as a young man, I had a desire to, you know, be, be a, a rodeo cowboy, be one of the best. And then when I accepted the Lord, when I was 20, um, things begin to change on the inside of me where I did want to become one of the best. I wanted to just go after God. You know, I wanted to know why I was on this earth. I wanted to know my purpose. And that's where being your best comes from. You know, I was at college at Texas Tech and I was asking the Lord, what does success look like? And just on the inside, he said, Trey, true success is a person being in the process of knowing him and being the best you that you can be. And so the more we know God, the more we begin to understand ourselves and why he's placed in us certain things and then to use those gifts uh, to add value to people. That's my heart is I want people to know God and I want them to be the best them they can be. I got started and now it's just, uh, you know, my kids have been raised in it. My, my wife, Heather, she, she didn't grow up in rodeo and stuff, but she just loves the Lord and she's a warrior. So, yeah, it's a great way to reach people. And, and I'm just very thankful for the culture. You know, it teaches a lot mm. of responsibility, a lot of work ethic. Um, and so there's just a lot of a lot of fun, a lot of good that goes into it. Man, I love that. You know, it is funny because the work ethic that goes into ranching or, or anything that has to do with cattle, like it's a it is a hard world. 
to be in. Like, it's funny because my wife always says, let's get a farm. And I'm like, no, no, we're not going to, we're not going to do that. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I know too many people in that world and I don't, I don't think my back would last very long <laughs> in that kind of world. <laughs> so I'm, I'm curious for you, what was, what was family life? Like you, you talked about your dad always getting you out there on the barrel, <laughs> getting you out, getting dirty, like that kind of childhood. I, I almost long for people to have that kind of childhood nowadays, especially especially young boys, yeah. because I think young boys, they just need to go roll around in the dirt a little bit, go play in the trees. I don't know. I, I just feel like there's something deep down inside. And I know that, you know, some boys want to do some other things, you know, they want to be maybe a little bit more artistic, but I think there's something about being in God's creation that really is amazing. What kind of effect did your dad have on you growing up? Like what kind of man was he and how did that translate as you started to become older and having kids in your life? Well, I still call my dad and apologize to him that he is not <laughs> as dumb as I thought he was. <laughs> uh, but my dad was just a, a great man of character. Uh, like I said, they, they took me to church enough growing up that I, I knew that I needed to call on the name of Jesus when it was time. But my dad taught me how to say what I mean, mean what I say. He taught me how to just simple things in life of being on time, working hard, exceeding expectation. Uh, he was a man of character, you know, and still to this day, when my dad tells me that something is going to happen, I can count on it being done. And that helped me in my relationship with God. Uh, when he told me he was going to bust my bottom, then guess what? It didn't matter. I was going to get a busted. <laughs> I didn't like yeah. it at the time. But it helped me in my relationship with God because I know when my Heavenly Father tells me something, I know it's going to be done because I've seen it walked out by my earthly father. And so I'm trying mm. to, to live that same example to my wife and my kids. You know, something I ask myself all the time, if they were to just follow my example, what I do with my time every day, my daily schedule, my priorities – would they be able to know God and would they be able to be their best? Not just what I'm saying, but how I'm living, because I want it mm. to be real. You know, I never set out to be an author, so to say, or on TV, or uh, I just want to know God and I just want to be the best me I can be. And I want it to be real with my kids because I want to know how to get God to show up in the middle of a pasture when I need him, you know, in the arena when I need him. And I've seen, you know, miracle after miracle of God raising people up that should have died, animals up that should have died. Um, and, mm. and so it's still my heart today, but I want it to be real. I want to know God. I want to know how to apply his word. And I learned a lot of that just by daily life with my mom and dad both. So mm. you, you were asking me the question about how did my dad instill that to me? He did it by living it. And I want to do the mm. same thing, you know, to my family. The power of someone's word is is really remarkable, especially since people's word today is is not really of value. A lot mm -hmm. of people don't live up to their word. It's fascinating to hear you talk about how much your father, like his words meant something. I think a, yeah. a lot of times today we throw out a lot of words. And, and I know you've thought a lot about the words that you speak. You don't just flippantly throw words out. These are words from a man who has definitely pondered pieces of life. I love that you say that because I think it really is powerful for us to understand how important our words are. And that goes towards who we're speaking them to. You know, yeah. your father spoke words of blessing over your life mm -hmm. and those words 
continue to live out. And I, I would imagine that they're continuing to live out even in his grandkids, uh, which yeah. I think is just absolutely amazing. You know, it's, it's funny. I wasn't going to ask you this question, but uh, I was I was with a group of guys this morning and this question came up. And I'm curious. I'm curious of your perspective of this question. Now, uh, one of the one of the guys we were, brought it up, he said, you know, one of the things I've always wrestled with is this this idea of fearing the Lord. Like, what does that mean to fear the Lord? Like, are we supposed to cower you know, God, you know, because he's just so grand and, and mighty. And, and I thought, wow, that's that's an interesting perspective to have. I, I have thoughts on that. But given your circumstances, because I don't know, there's there's something about uh, a father who is raising a young boy in the rodeo that he could put the fear of God in you. There's that phrase of <laughs> he's putting the fear of God in you. And that doesn't always necessarily mean that you're afraid of him. But there is something about that that I think that most men and women today don't really grasp what that means to have a have a healthy fear. What is mm-hmm. what does that mean to you to fear the Lord? Well, the the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You know, Proverbs one. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of understanding. And when we look back at God's original design, the husband and wife, Adam and Eve, were the first leaders in our life to display the character and nature of God. And so the father is a huge role. I mean, you look, our father, our heavenly father, it means source. Not only is he my father, but he is almighty. He is all knowing. He is all powerful. And it isn't that I serve him because I have to. It's the more I get to know him, it's I want to. Because one of the things that kept me away from God is because I thought it was going to be about what I could not do. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't do this. Don't do that. But when I discovered it was about what I can do and I started focusing Mm. on all I could do through Christ Jesus, then it totally changed my perspective of God that when Jesus was was teaching the disciples how to pray, he said, okay, this isn't something you're just supposed to repeat all the time. He said, this is a structure. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. He was saying, realize who you're talking to. Realize Father means source. He is almighty. He's all-knowing. He's all-powerful. And when we realize who we're talking to, there's a reverence there. There's a respect there, not a not a fear like he's going to take me out if I do something wrong or if I make a mistake. No, he's he's a good dad. And like even when I didn't know the Lord and I was making mistakes, my dad kept loving me and and he always uh-huh. kept the door open to me. But still to this day, because of the respect I have for my dad, if he told me to bend over, I would bend over just because I have that respect. And so when when I hear the fear of the Lord. It's a realization that he is almighty, he is all-knowing, he is all-powerful, but he's still my father, and he loves Mm. me. And when he speaks, it's not to take anything away from me, it's to get life to me. It's to help me be my best. And so changing that perspective that he's not a taker, but he's a giver. Even when he corrects Mm. me, it's not to punish me, it's to give me life and life more abundantly. And so I ask myself all the time, you know, do I, I look at God through the eyes of the law, which is don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, or do I look at him through the lens of life? That anytime, even when he's correcting me, even when he's telling me, okay, let's don't do that, it's because he knows what he's doing. He's a good father, and he has my best interest at heart. And if I'll, if I'll obey, it positions me for him to protect and guide and provide and lead and 
And so when, when I hear the fear of the Lord, it is an awe, it's a respect, it's an honor mm. that he is, he is good and only good. And everything he does is good. Uh, I hope that answers your question. I could keep going on it and really on about does. that, but I don't want to take the whole <laughs> full session up here on that. Well, I, I, you know, for those of you listening, you can tell that he's not passionate at all, right? Like <laughs> Trey, is, <laughs> Trey is 100% passion about this mission for people to understand who God is. Because I think a lot of people have that perception of God of like, oh, God is this really angry guy in the sky that's, you know, waiting with a stick to hit me when I do something wrong. Yeah. And I wish people understood that, right? Yeah, you know, I'm curious for you, this idea of correction is loving. And obviously correction has to be done in a loving way, right? Otherwise it, it really does become abuse. Mm -hmm. But correction is a loving thing that we should be teaching our kids. And I don't think a lot of kids these days are actually getting any correction, let alone the good kind of correction. It's like everyone has taken their hands off of, oh, let's instruct and let's correct our children to know what is right and wrong and those kinds of things. Just the other day, I was watching a mother and her kids. They walked up to someone else's house and then they were picking the flowers from the front, like in front of the person's door. <laughs> and I'm walking with my kids and we stop and I look at this lady and there's, she just doesn't see that anything is wrong with this. Just walking up to someone's property, wow. taking flowers because they, they believe it's just anyone's. And mm -hmm. I looked at my kids and I said, Who's, whose flowers are those? And they said, the people that own the house. My daughter's four years old, mind you. Four years old, I have a four-year-old, a two-year-old, and one that can't even speak. I'm sure the, the one that can't <laughs> speak would be saying it too. But every single one of my kids know at the age of four and two, that taking flowers from someone's house, even even though that they're there to admire, even if you're walking by them on the sidewalk, you, you shouldn't be taking someone else's property, someone else's yeah. hard work. And it's, it's crazy that people don't get that. So in your life, I'm curious, w when was a time where maybe in the midst of it, the correction didn't feel like it was a loving thing, like it was a good thing? But as you look back on it later on in life, you go, man, I really appreciated this person because they were loving enough to give me the correction that I needed. You know, whenever God talks about authority and leaders and stuff in our life, you know, of course, the home, the church, civil authority, social authority, learning that at a young age, you know, when my dad used to tell me this is going to hurt me more than it does you, that did not make sense to me whenever I was little when he was spanking me. But but I realized that he was doing it for my benefit. And, and even to this day, that's when I've had spiritual leaders correct me on platform or in front of people. I desire that because I, I don't want to be wrong. I want to please the Lord. And when we look at leaders in our life as their extensions of God's hand and God's goodness, and that if I will have the right heart and I will have a submitted heart, I'm a man under authority, therefore I'm in authority, that God will continue to direct me even if my leaders are wrong. God will keep protecting me even if my leaders are wrong. I'm not going to be accountable for what they did. I'm going to be accountable for how I listened, how I learned, how I honored, how I respected. And I take all that back to my mom and dad, the way that they brought me up, that, you know, there was order. And where there's divine order, there's divine power. And I'm wanting to instill the same in, in my kids. Even to this day, the Lord had me when, when they were little, and I would have to spank them. I didn't want to spank them. But I'd have to spank them when I would get done. 
I wouldn't send them to their room. I wouldn't let them go off. I would hold them and I would hold them in my lap until they quit crying. And then we would talk about how much I loved them and I would reassure them because I'd always give them a, an opportunity. I'd put before them life and death, blessing and cursing. And I'd let them know if you make this wrong decision, these are going to be the consequences. But I want you to understand that it's not me doing this to you. It's because you chose this, that these are the consequences. And then they would still make the wrong decision. They knew the consequence was coming. I would spank them, correct them, direct them. And then I would hold them because I want them running to me when they make mistakes. I don't want them running from me. I don't want them to think that I'm a this punisher, there's certain principles, certain values that our choices matter in life. And there's always going to be consequences to our choices. And I wanted them to stay in the presence of their earthly father until they had a clear way of thinking, until their heart was okay, until they weren't hurting anymore, that they knew that I was a place of healing and hope and comfort and strength. And then we would put it behind us and we would go forward. Because uh, mm. I know that's my father, my heavenly father. Even when I make mistakes, he doesn't want me to run from him. He wants me to run to him. And and so just learning that, you know, and it's a daily process of focusing on his mercy and grace and his goodness. Uh, but I know that he's for me regardless. Even if I'm the one mm. that screwed everything up, he's still going to help me get it worked out. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it's so funny too, because I think so many times we like to blame everyone else that, you know, all, all of the pain and all of the suffering is based off of someone else doing something. And there's such an ownership piece that kind of comes in with this. And I think ownership is a huge piece when it comes to our journey. We have to own when we're doing things right and we, when we're doing things wrong. One of the things I learned a number of years ago was this idea that when our values are out of alignment, we receive consequences. When they're in alignment, when we're, when we're, when our actions are in alignment with our values, we're, we're doing what we say we're going to do. When we are doing yeah. what we believe, there are benefits to that. And I think that that also goes with this idea of, you know, when, when you are doing what, what God calls you to do, you receive benefits from that, right? Like w yeah. when, when you are living as the person that God created you to be doing what God created you to be, there are benefits to that. And I think so many people would be better off in life if they were to take their hands off of everything that they feel like they should be doing. And they focus a little bit more on, man, who's God calling me to be today? How do I show up to the person at the grocery store? How do I show up to my kids today? How do I show up to my wife? Because that that identity piece is so important that we are a reflection of the Father up above. And I don't think that we perceive that. We don't perceive that we are a reflection to God's creation, to the people that are around us. So, Trey, you have had some enormous success in your life, definitely around the rodeo side of things, but you've also had kind of this, this new piece. Well, I guess it's not really that new, but being on a TV program, having this TV program where you have the opportunity to speak into people's lives about seeking purpose in life and doing what God created them to do. How did that come about? Because that, you know, I, I think there's a lot of people that say, oh, well he did A, B, C, D. And then all of a sudden there it was. When in actuality, I find that most things happen because God plants them in the right place and we're there 
as the person he creates us to be in that right timing. What was that journey like moving from stepping away from, because if I remember correctly, you actually stepped away from doing rodeo, from, from roping for nine years, if I'm not mistaken, before you actually went back and started to compete again. How, how did that kind of take place? (laughs) Uh, You know, it, uh, it's always been ever since I've given my life to the Lord, it's been about relationship with me and it's been about just the daily process because I'd quit college when I was 20 years old and I had moved in with this girl. We weren't married. And of course, those that are listening, if you haven't been taught, that's not correct order. That isn't the way God wanted things to be done. But I was mixed up with the wrong crowd, you know, the alcohol, the drugs, just that whole environment. And my mom and dad, once again, they did a great job. They said, Trey, we love you, but we're not going to finance the decisions that you're making but you're always welcome here. So I was living in El Paso, Texas with this girl. And I went home one weekend and I was leaving. My dad come running out the back door, tears running down his face. And he says, Trey, the Lord, show me you're going to die if you, if you don't get your life right. And I'm like, yeah, right, dad. You know, I thought he was just, you know, trying to pull one over on me. Well, two weeks later, I go back to El Paso. Two weeks later, we're down by Austin, Texas, and we're at a rodeo. I wasn't good enough to compete in the professional rodeo at this time, um, but the girl I was living with, she was running barrels in the rodeo, and I was roping with a different guy. And so we leave the rodeo, and I'm driving brand-new truck, brand-new horse trailer, three horses in the horse trailer. And it's about one thirty, two o'clock in the morning. They're both asleep. He's in the passenger seat. She's laying down the back seat, and I fall asleep driving. And when I wake up, I'm running 70 miles an hour, down a four-lane highway, but I'm in the median. And when I wake up, I try to pull it back onto the highway. And up ahead of us was a big concrete water culvert. And I saw it wasn't going to make it. Um, And so I pulled the truck back in the middle of the median, and I straddled the water culvert perfectly. There were concrete slabs going up both sides of the water culvert. And I hit it perfectly with the truck, but the horse trailer hit it this smack on. And it ripped the truck away from the trailer. And, of course, we're spinning around and around in the truck and we end up about a hundred yards away from the trailer. And as I'm spinning, I'm watching this trailer just flip end over end over end. And when we come to a standstill and I realize I'm not dead, I just take off running towards the horse trailer and it's just a ball of tin at this time. And I'm waiting for the jaws of life to come. People have pulled over by this time, called nine one one. We're waiting for the jaws of life to come and cut the side of the horse trailer out. But the horses are just going nuts in there. I mean, they're pawing and kicking. And so I find a window that's open in the trailer, and I crawl down in there with the horses. And, Nathan, I never will forget it. I'm knelt down. I'm petting the horses, trying to calm them down. There's blood all over the inside of this horse trailer. And I remember my dad, tears running down his face, and him telling me, the Lord showed me that you're going to die if you don't get your life right. Now, at that moment, I knew God had nothing to do with that wreck, but I knew he had everything to do was sparing my life. And thank God my mm-hmm. parents had taken me to church enough that I knew I needed to call upon the name of Jesus. So in that horse trailer, I just called upon the name of Jesus. And I just began to tell him, I, I just, I want to know you. I don't want to know religion. I don't want all this fluff stuff. I want to know you. I want to know your presence. The same God who showed up for David and Moses and Abraham and Isaac. And I want to know you that way. And I just started going after God. And One of the horses, you know, most people ask, well, what happened to the horses? And one horse, you couldn't compete on anymore. 
the other two horses about six months or so later, they was able to be ridden and stuff again. But that was a turning point for me. And so, but I went back to the environment that I was in and everything because I didn't know any different. But I just started simply putting God first, Matthew six thirty three. And I'm going to answer your question. I'm just leading up to it here. Of seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else will be added unto you. And so every day I just got up and I just started putting him first. I didn't start out with hours. I just started out with a few minutes. I just started just putting him first, putting him first. And just a few months later, mm-hmm. to make a long story short, God opened up an opportunity for me to go and to work for these professional cowboys and stuff and work for them and learn how to rodeo. Well, whenever I moved away from El Paso, just a month or two later, the FBI comes in and busts the people that I lived with with four and a half tons of drugs. And if you're not very good in math, that's a lot of dope. And so... You know, some of them uh, were in prison for life. Some have died in prison. Uh, some are still there. Um, and, and and so I say that because God just, he's, he spared my life. When I started doing his word and I started putting him first, he started orchestrating things. And then I went back to college to go after getting my life and stuff back. And I remember a couple of years into this, I'm going to college and I'm starting to compete. and I'm getting better at my roping and everything. And I'm I'm at a roping in Pecos, Texas, and these guys come up to me and they say, hey, Trey, would you do church for us in the morning? And these are guys that I used to run with with alcohol and the drugs, and I knew they were still strung out. And I said, yeah, I'll do church in the morning. But I didn't show up because I thought they were just making fun of me because they'd all been waiting for me to go back to the old lifestyle. But I hadn't. I was changing, and God was doing work in my life. And so when I got to the rope in that day, after I didn't show up, every one of them came to me, Nathan, and said, where were you today? And it crushed me that I had a chance to share with them what God had done. And I told the Lord, I never forget, I pull out the parking lot that day when I got done roping. I put the truck in neutral. I put my head on the steering wheel and I just start crying. And I just tell the Lord, I said, if you ever give me a chance to tell people how good you are, I will not tell you no. And so I went on, and about two weeks later, I'm at a college rodeo in Big Springs, Texas. And I go up just to see who's doing church, because before I gave my life to the Lord, there'd be six, eight people in the church, you know, early in the mornings. And they look at me, and they said, Trey, nobody's doing church. Would you do it? And at first I said, no way, I won't do it. And then I remember what I told the Lord, and I said, yeah, I'll do it. And hundreds of kids showed up that day to church because they seen the transformation in my life and they seen the realness in my life. And so revival just took off in the college rodeo scenes for the next couple of years. I was going to class during the day and this opportunity would open up and this opportunity. And I was speaking three, five, six times a week going to college and I was still working at my roping. And so I was up early in the morning working at it and going to class. And then we'd drive that night and I would preach and come back and rope. And and so it just the process of, knowing and being ready and i began to think when i started when i first had a desire to be one of the top ropers i always thought okay how would i handle myself when i became a top roper what would i do with my influence when i do become one of the best and i started being that Mm. before i ever showed up was the same way when i started preaching and stuff i'd go to conferences and i used to ask myself how would i prepare if i was the keynote speaker how would i prepare if they asked me to speak at conferences. So when they started asking me to speak at conferences, I wasn't trying to get ready. I'm ready because I live a life of preparation. How preparation has Mm. positioned my gift to make a way for me. And it is the same thing with TV. You know, these 
a group of businessmen uh, from the Dallas-Fort Worth area. They had these resources, and they wanted to start this uh, TV network, and they had their production guy, and they said, hey, we want quality people that you know their character, you know who they are. We want them to be on the network, and I was the first guy that got called. He said, listen, this is what the deal is. These guys want people they can trust. I wasn't trying to get ready. I was ready. And so they come out and they started filming shows and then this network would see my show and this network would see my show and this network would see my show. And now we're getting to reach people all around the world. But it wasn't something that I necessarily set out to do. I just stayed in the process. And I think a lot of times we get so focused on the results that we lose sight of the daily process. You mentioned it a while ago. I remember I was praying about, um, I was married one time before. I was pastoring churches and stuff, and uh, this lady had an affair and stuff on me and moved. I'd done good in real estate and stuff, and the lady moved the money around, and I was was having to start over. And I was Mm. praying, and just on the inside, the Lord says, Trey, you know I want to help change your circumstance. He said, but the number one thing I want to change is you. And it just Mm. touched my heart that we get so focused on changing our circumstances but really, if we'll focus on changing us, then the circumstances will change. And and a lot of times we yeah. don't want that. We want to stay the same and we want our circumstances to change. But it doesn't work that way. If we'll change, then the things around us change. And so mm. I hope that answers your question. I know I kind of went around it a long ways there, but it, it goes back to the <laughs> daily process. You know, success is determined by our daily agenda. No, I think it does. It, it really does. And I, and I love that story because it truly does capture so much of who you became through the circumstances. Because so many people, I, I think I think you're right, so many people are formed by the circumstances and not in a good way. They they don't yeah. allow circumstances to be that crucible to make them stronger, to make them better. They actually use those circumstances ex- <laughs> as excuses to become weaker, excuses mm-hmm. to not develop and not become better. And so I, I love the story because it really is heartfelt and understanding the things that you've gone through you could easily be upset and frustrated by things, but at the end of the day, you took ownership and you sort of say, you know what? At the end of the day, I've got to make a change. I've got to make a difference. And then having someone speak into your life that they want to change you, they, mm-hmm. they, they want to take a chance on you, but they want you to change. They, they want the best for you. And I think that, man, if people knew that there were people out there in, around them in their community that actually wanted them to be better, that wanted them to succeed, that would be so different. But I think most of us come in with this, this mentality of, man, the world is out to get me and everyone's trying to beat me down. And yeah, there are people like that out there, but for the most part, there are people that want to see you succeed. There are people that want to mentor you and want to help you get better. But you have to be willing to take on the mentorship. You have to be willing to hear what those people want to pour into your life. Yeah, being teachable and coachable, trainable, it's huge. You know, I and you know, just like I do, if if you stay in that position in your heart where you're willing to apply what they're telling you, then most successful people want to help you succeed. But if you mm-hmm. think you got it all figured out, and you think you're somewhere that you're not, then most of the time they're going to keep their mouth shut and let you try to figure it out on your own. <laughs> yeah. And I've tried well, to figure you know, it out there's... on my own, and that doesn't work very good. 
Well, you know, there's two kinds of learning, right? There's learning that we uh, that we learn the hard way, and then there's learning from others. And learning yeah. from others is way better. It's way less painful. <laughs> it's it, it comes the learning that you get from other people is discounted, not the knowledge, not the wisdom that comes but yeah. the price that's paid for it. And I think a lot of people don't get that. That's why podcasts are popular. That's why books are somewhat still popular, I guess. I don't know. Do people <laughs> still read books? I read books, but I don't, I don't meet a lot of people that read books. So it's, it's interesting though, because you've been on this journey of life, of growing yourself, of developing yourself, even when you didn't even know you were doing it. Mm -hmm. With right now, you're really in this amazing season of life where you're reaping fruit, right? There's been seeds planted throughout your life in order to get to this point. And I think you're in a place right now where you could sit back and you could just reap the benefits. You could start harvesting the fruit, but that's not what you're doing. Yeah, like right. you are still at it, whether that's at a church or whether at a, that's at a rodeo, you are constantly pouring back into people. How do you get that energy? So many people today, I feel like they're waiting to get to that point where they can just rest and be done. Hmm. And there is no done point. The dead point is when you are 10 feet down underground <laughs> buried. That's, that's the, that's the physical done point in life, right? There's a spiritual side to that. Trey, you've mentioned that so many times that if you put your hope and your trust in the Lord, Jesus Christ, yeah. then, then you have this spiritual life that lives on past the physical life. But I, I'm, I'm curious for you where so many people would be exhausted you know, I, I mentioned you're a young man. You, you are a young at heart man. Your yeah. body may not necessarily <laughs> say that you're young anymore. I'm 48. I'm 48. Yeah. <laughs> but, but the thing is, is like most people that start getting around that age, they're, they're starting to take their foot off the gas because mm -hmm. they are getting tired. And, and I think that comes a lot in the area of purpose. Like, they don't have a strong purpose and understanding of why they were created. For you, what keeps you going? What what keeps you so fired and inspired? Like you guys have heard him talking. Like we could just sit here. I don't even have to talk anymore. You could just talk for the rest of our time here. <laughs> and everyone would be captivated and inspired and encouraged. Where does that come from? Like it, was that something that you always had like from a young boy where you were just passionate about things and you were excited and you just got – you're like, yeah, let's go. Or, or was that something that was cultivated over time where you grew into that passion and into that desire to serve others? That is a great question. As far as when I was younger, I always enjoyed life, but once I accepted Maybe a little Lord, too much at times. <laughs> yes. Yes. It almost cost me my life. Uh, once I began to realize why God had wired me the way he had wired me, why he put the desires and passions in me, that he had other people on his mind, and that when I stand before God, it won't just be me being accountable for the people I did reach, that I'm going to be accountable for the people I, were, I was created to reach. And so mm. it, it's kind of like the question that John Maxwell uses, the, the quote of the little kid, you know, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? And when we switch that, question to how far can I go? I'm always asking, okay, God, with my gifts, with my talent, with the little that I have, who can I reach? Where can I go? Uh. What can I do? And when, when I'm 
at a roping clinic. You know, in the past 10 days, I've been in Oregon and California and Colorado and South Carolina and Oklahoma. People ask me all the time, how do, how do you go like you go? How do you do? I mean, just looking at your schedule wears me out. And, and it is because I'm thinking what I'm doing can help some one person know God. It's worth it to me. It's worth it mm. to me. All the hours of practicing to become one of the top ropers. Still, I could still compete at a professional level. I'm one of the oldest guys out there, you know. But one of the reasons why is because if it changes one person's life, and I know that it is. I know that the areas of ministry, the areas of leadership, the areas of roping, those are the spheres of influence that God has called me to. And if I can stand before God knowing that I've left it all on the table, knowing because he's a good investor, you know, just like the one that, mm-hmm. you know, Matthew 25, he gave one five, another two, another one. And the one with five came to him and said, here, I've increased it. And the two said, here, I've increased it. I don't want to be the one that buries it, but I want to uh. be the one that increases. I want God to have a return on his investment. And that's my passion, my gifts, my calling, my assignment. I want to use everything. I feel like the little boy with five loaves and two fish when Jesus wanted to feed the 20,000. <laughs> And he looked at the disciples and he says, hey, guys, what do you have? And they said, all we have is five loaves and two fish. That's what I feel like, Nathan. I feel like, okay, Lord, here's my five loaves and two fish. You take it and you multiply it and let's reach as many people as we can, all for the glory of Mm. God. And I think in keeping that eternal perspective, it keeps me passionate. It keeps me full of faith and energy. And now, now, don't get me wrong. I do the natural. I work out five, six days a week. I take good vitamins. I try to eat as good as I can. You know, and, and I take just like yesterday, I could tell I was completely empty and I did my best to rest, you know, refill myself so I could hit the ground running again today. And so that eternal perspective, knowing my gifts, my calling, my assignment, and that's a process, discovering all those things. But then once we know it, choosing to use those gifts to add value to people and instead of running after money, we're fulfilling purpose. And when we're fulfilling purpose, then the provision has to come. It has to come. It would be uh, it would be against God's nature if it didn't come. But a lot of times we mm. let money and we let circumstances stop us from being who God's called and created us to be. Instead, if I'll stay focused on purpose and I'll stay focused on developing my gifts and callings and I'll stay focused on him, I'll seek him first. Then everything has to come into my life and it gives you a mm. confidence and a security and you're knowing, hey, I'm going to win in life. Devil, you're defeated. God is exalted, and we're going to go forward, and we're going to reach as many people as we can, all for the glory of God. You get me started. I love up, that. It, yeah, I do. <laughs> you know, it, it, you, you remind me, uh, I think it was Corey Tinboom that said, um, you'll never know that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. Yeah. It truly is powerful in understanding that and coming to a place in your life where you realize, even if I had all the money in the world, even if I had all the talent in the world, it wouldn't matter. That, right. If you look around, there are hundreds of thousands of successful people, millionaires, billionaires, and some of them are some of the most miserable people in the world. Why? Because yeah. they're constantly striving for more and more and more, and they do not have an identity that rests in their creator. I love that how we started this whole thing, talking about the father is the sustainer. Yeah. He he is our source of life. 
And it's so important because when you realize that God is your source of life, he will give you your daily portion. He will give you your daily needs. Your daily needs are not the same as my daily needs. I don't need to have X amount of dollars that Trey has and Trey doesn't need X amount of headaches that I have with kids. We're in, <laughs> we're in different we're in different stages of life right now. Yeah. But it's a good thing for us to know where God has us planted. And yeah. wherever you're planted, you could have the greatest gifts in all the world. And all, if all you ever do is use those gifts to make money and put money in your pocket and just make your life more comfortable, you, you're missing the point of this life. The point of those gifts is to bless others, to invest in others, to make others better, to lift other people up on your shoulders. And so many people miss this because they're so focused on me, 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 me. We are such yeah. a selfish world. Mm -hmm. we, are, we are so focused on our needs that we forget about everyone else's needs. And heck, if you're married, when you look at the person that's, uh, you know, hopefully they're, they're in bed next to you, when you look at them, is your first thought, how could I make their life better today? How could I serve them today? How could I speak life over them? I, I would wager that the majority of people, specifically in America, the majority of people who are married would not look at their spouse and think, man, how can I make your life better today? Yeah. The thought is, why aren't you making me feel better? <laughs> why yeah. aren't you doing this and this and this and this? At one point in our marriage, Willow and I, we, we kind of had this. We, we were looking at each other like, why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? Why aren't you doing this for me? I don't get it. And it was always me, me, me until one, at one point we were, we were working with a, uh, um, some marriage coaches and they looked at us and they said, you know what we want you to do? This is all we want you to do in the night before you go to sleep. We want you to look at each other and we want you to speak gratitude over what the other person did for you today. How did they That's serve good. you today? You know how hard that is when all you're looking for is all the ways that your spouse doesn't serve you. You, you want to list off like, well, you didn't make my lunch and you didn't do this and you forgot to do this appointment. And, but all of a sudden you have this different train of thinking that you, that you're actually looking for the positive things. You know, first night is really hard because you're like, I forgot to actually look for things that my spouse is doing well. Yeah. And then. As you continue in this pattern, you start to look throughout your day for it. And what's crazy, Trey, it changes your relationship with your spouse. Mm -hmm. This changes your relationship with people. I was taught from some really great friends and mentors of mine that you get what you're looking for. Yeah. You get what you're looking for in life. And guess what? A bunch of people in this life, they're looking for a big heap of steaming stuff. And it's not good. <laughs> That's what they're looking for. And guess what yeah. they're finding? They're finding it everywhere. Why? Because we're all human, because we all carry it around all the time. The question is, is can you look at that stuff and go, you know what? I know it stinks. I know it's not good, but let's spread it out. Let's use that manure as fertilizer and let's make yeah. some things grow. Let's make the world a better place because of this, right? And so That's I good. think perspective really is important. And I love your perspective on life. This is so good. I think we could go on for like another four hours. So no, <laughs> yeah, don't worry. No. We're not going on for another four hours. <laughs> hey, here. I'm, I'm willing and ready. You, you just you <laughs> tell me when. I love it. You know, as you're listening right now, all of you listening, I hope you're taking really good notes because Trey is truly like given some words of wisdom, some golden nuggets here. Trey, I want to ask you another question here before we jump off. But before I do, 
everyone, if you're listening, I want to encourage you, go check out some of Trey's stuff. You, you can easily find him. Just check out Trey Johnson Ministries on Facebook or Instagram. Right? Yeah, like, we're on several different networks, Dish, Direct. Uh, there's, yeah, you go to TreyJohnsonMinistries.com and they can kind of find all the different places we're at. He's we everywhere. Podcast, I mean, being your best with Trey Johnson. <laughs> we write daily devotionals. We have a lot of YouTube channel. Uh, so it's just really how much you want to get out of it. I mean, there's resources. His entire shelf behind him is resources. Exactly. He's got resources for days. But, you know, <laughs> I, I love that about him is that he truly has this heart to serve. Trey, um, we were talking before we even got on about, you know, I'm, I'm a competitive guy. Like, I, I want to be first. I want to be the best. And I, I think I, I was, I was going to wager and say that maybe you've calmed down a little bit. Maybe you're not so competitive, uh, you know, wisdom <laughs> kind of helps us with that. But I think you're just as competitive day as, as you were back when you were younger. There's a lot of younger people right now that are running after dreams. They're running after desires. They, they want to achieve, they want to make money, you know, and, and not that any of these things are bad, right? Because I think sometimes, especially in a faith community, it gets dogged down, right? Like people say, well, you shouldn't be rich. You shouldn't, you know, go after your dreams. You know, you should just be a janitor and you should be happy with that because that was the lot that you were given. It's not a lot, but it was what you were given. And I think, I think at the end of the day, I think it's, I think that's a misstep, but I'm, I'm more focused on the individuals, the young individuals that we meet on a day-to-day -day basis that are truly trying to make something of themselves, what they're going towards this dream the desire, if it's too burning, it gets in the way of what God is actually calling them to. What would be your encouragement to someone who wants to succeed in life, who wants to be successful, who wants to do great, who wants to have great impact, but they don't want to lose themselves in the process. They, they don't want to sacrifice their soul or sacrifice a piece of them. What do you say to that person that wants to achieve but maybe they they're having these moments kind of coming up in life and people are saying, well, if you if you want to get there, you're going to have to sacrifice this part of who you are. What, what do you say to someone that's wrestling with that? You know, that's a great question, um, because I had well-meaning people uh, when I when I gave my life to the Lord and I wanted to be this top roper telling me that uh, God didn't want that for me. And, you know, that I've had people tell me, you know, you can't compete at the top level. You can't preach at the top level. You can't communicate at the top level. You can't do everything you're doing and do it with excellence. And I've learned that that's not true, that yeah. God wants us to win in life. It says, give thanks unto him who always causes us to triumph in Christ Jesus. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith, that we're made in the image and likeness of God. And there's nothing complacent about the God that I know. There's nothing average about the God that I know. He thinks when. He believes when. He talks when. He is when. It doesn't mean everything is going to be roses and dandelions and life's just going to be peachy. No, we live in a curse-ridden world. There is a real devil, but there is a real God, and we are created to overcome. And, and so... To answer your question, a person that doesn't want to lose sight, let's shift our focus to where our sight is, that if I keep my sight on knowing God and I keep my sight realizing he's the one that gave me the gifts, he's the one that gave me the grace, he's the one that gave me the passion, he's the one that gave me desire, and I'm willing to just start small, just take a step. If I'm willing to use what I have one day at a time and I step and I keep God first, 
going after God, I take a step knowing that, okay, I'm going to do the natural. I'm going to do everything I can in the natural, and I'm going to expect God's super to come up on my natural, but I'm going to keep becoming. And I encourage you to write Mm. it down. Write down what are your gifts. Write down what are your callings. And then think about, okay, if I am, if, if I can see the best me that I can be using my gifts, using my calling, that's vision. Proverbs 29, 18, where there's no vision, people perish. So if I can see myself being the best me I can be, we're designed, Nathan, to go where we see, not with our eyeballs. Mm. We look through our eyeballs, but we see with our heart. And when we're in the presence of God, we'll begin to see ourselves as a champion. We'll see ourselves as forgiven, as righteous, as redeemed, as victorious, as overcomers, as the healed, as the blood. We begin to see from our heart. Then we don't let what we look at talk us out of what we see, but we got to see it first. We got to spend enough time in the presence of God and in his work and with the right people. I've got leaders and coaches and mentors in every area of my life to help me keep thinking at a different level, to keep believing at a different level. If I'm going to reach the world, I don't hang out with people that just want to talk about therefore and no more. I hang out with people that think globally, that think worldly, that think they have a big vision and it keeps stretching. Just this morning, I was working horses. I took my daughter over some friends of mine. And this is the, the, one of the greatest cowboys that's ever lived. 26 time world champion. I do that on purpose. Because in order for me to get better, I've got to hang out with people that are better than me. In order for me to think bigger, I've got to hang out with people that think bigger than me and not lose sight. So so to kind of simplify it, I keep God first. I keep a pulse on my passion, my gifts, my calling, my talent. And then I keep the right people around me and I keep stretching. I mm. keep learning. I keep growing. I'm very aware of what I watch, what I listen to, what I read. I do that on purpose. Because I realize that the people I hang out with, the material I take in, it's going to determine who I become and where I'm going in the next five years from now. And what and, and time, every day, every one of us have 86,400 seconds, 1,440 minutes, 168 hours in a week. What I do with my time determines who I become, where I go, and what I do. So I want to mm. spend my time wisely. I want to invest my time in knowing God and developing my gifts and callings. I ask myself all the time, does my discipline match my dream? I say I want to do all this, but does my daily schedule match what I say I want to do? And if it doesn't, then I tweak it, I adjust it, I change it, but I keep stepping just one day at a time. And every day, God has built in the faith that we need. Every day, God has built the mercy, the grace that we need in every day for us to live at full energy. I mean, to live out, to leave it all on the table. I want to die empty, Nathan. I want to reach every person that I'm called to reach. I want to develop every gift, every talent, every business, every book, every show, everything that God's put in me. I want to leave it on the earth all for the glory of God so people can know God and be the best them they can be. Like, how do you, how, like, I, if you're listening to this right now, you need to push pause and you need to rewind for the last five minutes and go back and listen. Like, he just gave a life mantra of how you need to show up every single day. Like there is so much wisdom that was just poured out 
from this man. And I know, you know, we both know that wisdom comes from God alone and it's, and yes. it's bestowed in your, in your mouth. It's coming, it's coming straight through. And oh my gosh, like the, there were so many, I was just uh, my, my, my hands like cramping up trying to write half the stuff that you're I'm like, oh, that's really good. Like I want to die empty. I want to die empty too. I hope you want to die empty too. Not empty and alone, but I, I hope you die yeah. empty. Right. I, this was, I've never heard this before. I've never heard this before. I want God's super on my natural. That is so good because you know what, you know what I love about this trait is there are so many people that wrestle with worthiness of feeling like they're not enough. And they, they continue to try and fill this huge hole inside of them with a bunch of stuff. And I got to tell you right now, the answer to the question of why do I not feel like I'm enough is because you're not. Yeah. And the only thing that makes you enough is if you have God that completes you. Yeah. And I think that's one of the most uh, like, man, that, that allow, allow God to be the super to your natural. And that's, that is an amazing step to take you closer to where you need to be closer to who it is that you were called to be. Oh my gosh, this is so good. Like this, I, I, I'm not even, you know, I don't blow smoke uh, really ever, but there are times when you have someone on and you just know that there's a fire inside of them, that they're, they're just, they're just dropping nugget after nugget after nugget. I hope you go back. I hope you listen to this. Trey, I, I want to thank you so much for being on the more than before podcast, because truly we can see where you started how you progressed through your story and how you became more, not just because of what you did, but more of who you became and who you put your trust in through that process and really leaning into who you were created to be. I love that idea that you have a creator and he is the resource. He is everything that you need. It's so powerful. You know, for those of you that are listening right now, I I, want to encourage you, share this episode with a friend. Share this episode with someone right now. There's someone in your head that just popped in just a second ago, and you're saying, man, they need to hear this. Share this with someone because someone needs to hear this. And this is such an incredible, incredible testimony of how we should live our lives. And it's a beautiful mirror of, of how our Father tells us to live. Like, subscribe, share this with someone. Like I always say, I want to remind you, be more, see more, experience more together.